Hello, and welcome back to the Feedgrass for Good podcast, brought to you by Hustler Equipment, the world's most innovative livestock feeding equipment. Each episode, we talk with a different sustainable farmer or expert in sustainable farming. In this episode, we talk with beef cattle specialist and professor at Oklahoma State University, Dr. David Lallman. Dr. Lallman's studies and interests should be helpful for any kind of beef cattle farmer, but certainly for sustainable and regenerative farmers as well. A quick apology about the audio quality of the interview. Our internet connection with the doctor was a little rough, and we tried as much as we could to make the audio more palatable. But as you can hear, our success rate wasn't always perfect. We do appreciate the doctor's time and think the knowledge he shared is well worth our technical hiccups, and hope you do as well. So, let's get into it. My name is David Lowman. I'm an extension beef cattle specialist and a professor at Oklahoma State University. I was, uh, I did my graduate, well, undergraduate degree at Kansas State University and then a graduate degree at Montana State University and then a PhD at the University of Missouri before I joined the faculty here at Oklahoma State. So I, you know, I was raised on a diversified family farm in Southeast Kansas. Uh, we raised uh, Milo which some people refer to as sorghum, soybeans, corn, and wheat. And then we had beef cattle and we had a swine operation. So it was a diversified operation. Uh, my, my love was for the uh, beef cattle operation and horses. Uh, so I enjoyed that more and decided to attend college uh, there at Kansas State at first to learn more about the beef cattle industry Uh, and then but one thing led to another and i wound up in a graduate program at montana state university and enjoyed the ranching and the western kind of heritage out there in the northwest of the united states on those large ranches beautiful mountain scenery and so on and really enjoyed that so that that led to further um, study in the beef cattle area and so I wound up here on the faculty at Oklahoma State University I have a split appointment in extension and research Uh, extension just means that I work with farmers and ranchers all across uh, well the state and all across really the United States Uh, haven't done a lot of international travel but a little international travel Um, but my research program is focused in the cow-calf nutrition and management area. I do some work in stalker cattle. Uh, that's just the term we use here to indicate the, the phase between weaning and before the cattle enter the feedlot for finishing. And so I do some work with our primarily our own, our own OSU cattle, Oklahoma State cattle here. I do have responsibility uh, for the commercial cow herd here at Oklahoma State University. It's uh, fortunately, it's close by. We have about uh, 400 commercial cows that we do our applied research program uh, carrying that out with. I applied for a position as the beef cow herdsman at Montana State. Okay, and so I turned in my application. Um, they invited me for an interview. After the interview, they offered the position to me as the herdsman there at Montana State University. And they said, well, if you decide to come here, 
you are going to be expected to pursue a master's degree in animal science. And that was not really part of my plan, but it worked out great. You know, I was very fortunate to have tremendous uh, experiences there, both as a beef cattle herdsman, managing cattle and students and so on, and also acquiring a graduate degree at the same time. But honestly, when I was finishing my master's degree, I was ready to move on from uh, Montana State. I saw a position advertised at the University of Missouri as a beef cattle specialist. So where you would go out in the state and work with farmers and ranchers, uh, you know, talk to them about managing beef cattle. I thought, well, what could be more cool than that? So I applied for that position. Uh, you know, I was fortunate to get an offer from the University of Missouri through that process. And they said, and by the way, if you come here to take this position, you're going to be expected to complete a PhD in five years. And I thought to myself, well, here we go again. <laughs> so I wound up gradually, you know, it was a slow way to get my PhD because I had a full-time job as an extension beef cow specialist. But while I was working with farmers and ranchers and helping them with their challenges and so on, you know, I would take one, maybe one class a semester or something like that, and gradually over a period of five years uh, completed uh, a PhD. So it was also sort of an accident. <laughs> I did not come up through the traditional route. But our land costs continually increase because there's more and more competition for land use for uses other than agriculture. And uh, most of the land in the United States, including ranch land, uh, is priced really beyond what could be uh, considered profitability levels for someone who is only conducting a cow-calf or beef cattle enterprise. Uh, it, for the most part, I mean, just to, just to sort of uh, condense it into a real brief presentation, for the most part, you know, ownership of land is a way to store wealth. Uh, you know, if you can purchase land, it is a good investment. It has been for a long time and it continues to be. Uh, so, but it is difficult to purchase it and then cash flow that land with an agricultural enterprise and particularly with a beef cattle enterprise. So that is probably one of our, our ranchers biggest challenge. Now I said that on average cow calf operations are uh, not as profitable today as they were in 2014 and 15. And that is true. Our expenses are high right now. Uh, grain prices are increasingly rapidly here in the United States. Uh, corn is up in the six to seven dollars range. It had been in the four dollar range, four dollars per bushel. Um, and wheat prices, another kind of a barometer of feed prices, wheat prices are, are increasing here in the United States as well. Uh, that means that all feed prices and forage costs are, are gradually increasing as well. That those factors have an impact 
on the cost to rent pasture, for example. You know, it's an indirect influence, but it does influence. The higher the, the cost of, of feed grains, generally the more competition and the higher the, the cost of, of pasture land. If you, if you can find it, it's difficult uh, to find. There's a lot of competition for rented pasture land. So um, our, our particularly the cow-calf operators have really, uh, in the last four, five, six years, have really had to learn to tighten their belts. Uh, it's always been kind of a low margin enterprise. There are some operations that are considerably more profitable. Kansas Farm Management Association has really nice uh, research paper on uh, profitability of the top one-third or most profitable one-third of their operations in Kansas and the least profitable one-third. As I recall, the difference between those two groups, and it's, I think their data set has about, I'm going to say, 80 to 90 ranches in it each year. Uh, and so what it tells you is that, you know, if you can learn to control your costs in the cow-calf segment of the industry, uh, keep your land costs, try to keep your land costs down, and particularly um, uh, depreciation costs to a minimum, uh, you can still be profitable in the cow-calf segment of the, of the industry here in the U.S. The lowest labor technique to maintain a cow herd is to turn them out in the pasture and go gather them up when it's right time to wean the calves, right? <laughs> that, that is low, low labor and very convenient. One person can manage a lot of cows if they have a good grazing system. They, you know, I'm not saying that it doesn't take effort or management to, to, uh, to execute a quality and efficient grazing program. It does. However, if you're forced to, uh, where the land cost forces you to confine those animals in a small, let's say, uh, pen, or in a, some sort of a small pasture where you, we, we call it, might call it a sacrifice pasture where you're trying to get through a drought um, and you're, you've determined that you're going to feed a smaller number of cows through the drought period or whatever, um, limit feeding is one way to minimize the cost of doing that. So, we, what, you know, one, one strategy we discovered is that if you, if you limit cows' access to hay, um, you, can, you can reduce uh, the amount of feed required by, oh, somewhere around 20%. If you use other technologies with limit feeding, you might be able to get it down uh, to close to a, uh, uh, reduce the need for you know, let's say daily pay by as much as a third. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not going to work for everyone. Uh, let's say if you're uh, using a, a hustler piece of equipment to uh, roll the hay out or feed it out, you know, you know, recreating that windrow out in the pasture, you know, all you have to do is simply limit the amount that you're supplying so that they don't, but, you know, the first, the first concept is that when you limit feed, 
they clean it all up. They don't waste anything, right? And depending on how wasteful you were when they had ad lib or free choice access to the forage, you know, you might be able to reduce uh, the amount quote needed by by 10% or so just from limiting waste. Um, and, and we certainly saw that when we were doing some of our uh, limit feeding studies, we would feed the cattle in a, you know, put a round bale in a round bale feeder and then measure the waste and, and limit limiting their access to, oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of four to six hours uh, per day, uh, tremendously reduced the amount of waste. The second thing that happens, of course, is you do uh, limit their intake. Now, you know, that's going to depend a lot. Uh, the wisdom of doing that's going to depend a lot on the quality of the hay. So if you have low quality hay, you're probably not going to want to restrict their access very much because they just won't get the nutrients required to, you know, maintain their, their body weight. And if you restrict low quality hay access a lot, I mean, obviously they're going to lose weight. Um, so it needs to be relatively high quality and we use grass hay, uh, relatively high quality grass hay. You probably can use that strategy uh, to tremendously reduce uh, the feed consumption in, uh, say, the middle-aged cows. We don't recommend uh, limiting feed intake uh, to two-year-old cows. We have uh, heifers here at two years of age in the U.S., and that's probably not a very good idea for them because they need considerable nutrients to continue to grow and recover from calving. Uh, the other class of cattle that we don't recommend the limit feeding strategy for is older cows. That, you, know, you might have quite a few of those cows that don't have a good set of teeth. Uh, and so they're just more susceptible uh, to weight loss. Uh, and that limited their both waste and their intake wound up uh, reducing their forage intake by, as I recall, around 20%, something like that. The way to minimize waste there is simply to uh, modify the amount that you're providing to the cow so that they clean it up. Well, in general, if, if we look at the cow perspective first, the cow nutrition uh, perspective, uh, what happens with processing in most of the literature, I think, would, would reveal that when you process mechanically or physically process forage, you reduce the particle size, uh, intake, forage intake increases. Um, at the same time, since uh, you've already done some of the work for the cow, uh, it's already smaller particle size. It will not remain in the rumen as long as it would have otherwise. And so rumen retention time is reduced. And uh, intake and rumen retention time are related to the degree of processing. So in fact, uh, intake is inversely related to the size of the particles or if you want to think of it as the amount of processing, degree of processing. Smaller the particle size, the greater the intake. Uh, 
but at the same time, the smaller the particle size, the low, lower the room and retention time is, and therefore the lower the digestibility. So you might decrease, you might increase, uh, say, intake by six, seven, eight percent with uh, some sort of uh, mechanical processing, uh, but you're also going to probably decrease uh, forage digestibility by four, five, six percent. Uh, so they, they don't quite offset each other in most cases. Uh, some studies they do, you know, as, as you can imagine, there's quite a bit of variation uh, from one study to the next. But, but in general, that's kind of what happens. Uh, forage intake goes up, digestibility goes down, uh, trying to put their hay up in a more timely fashion where maturity uh, is still uh, results in uh, early maturity uh, results in a you know, highly digestible, relatively higher protein uh, content. Hay. And then if, if they put up nice quality uh, grass hay, we encourage people to have it tested uh, at a nutrition laboratory. And then we do everything we can to help them match their forage quality with their supplementation program. You harvest a big batch of hay, have it tested at a nutritional laboratory so that, you know, that information is powerful and you can make good decisions to keep your supplementation costs down if you, if you do both. If you put up high quality hay and then match the supplement as appropriate to the cow's nutrient requirements. take the opportunity to suggest that uh, we have a, a simple, a very simple nutrition cow-calf program here at Oklahoma State University that we provide free to the world. <laughs> it's called the OSU Calculator, C-O-W-C-U-L-A-T-O-R Calculator. Uh, and, um, it, it, and that's exactly what it's used to do. People can type in uh, the stage of production, the size of their cows, the breed of their cows, and so on. And then they can also go to the feed list uh, and they can select a table, a tabular value for the type of hay that they're feeding and use that as a place to get started. But even better, they can type in their own values they get back from the nutritional laboratory, type them in, and then look at the balance between the cow's needs and the forage supply of nutrients and C uh, and develop a supplementation program that keeps their costs down but maximizes the performance of their cattle. And I'm proud to say that here in the United States, uh, we are working hard. Uh, our producers are working hard to recognize uh, what constitutes uh, quality and, as you said, respectful and uh, extremely good uh, animal husbandry practices so that uh, animals have, I mean, probably a, a better experience than they ever have had in history. Uh, and, you know, there are just lots of examples throughout our industry uh, where we are trying to get better and better at that all the time. Let me just give you an example. 
you cannot imagine the tremendous reception that this concept of uh, low stress animal handling has had here in the United States. I mean, you see conferences to teach people how to uh, go about handling animals when they have to be gathered and processed or whatever, handling those animals quietly, keep them from getting anxious, uh, run them through the chutes, give them their annual vaccinations or whatever needs to be done. Um, I mean, the, the uh, agriculture community's uh, uptake of that information, uh, their reception of the concept of low stress animal handling has just been incredible the last 10 or 15 years. And we have gotten much better in our industry here, uh, handling animals to, you know, try to give them as good an experience uh, as possible. The other really big effort here uh, in the United States, or I, I think one we're making tremendous progress in is what we call beef quality assurance. Okay, BQA, beef quality assurance. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association has a has an entire uh, educational thrust on, on in that regard. And, you know, it's just, uh, well, I don't know if it's the current theme, uh, but uh, the, the previously one of the themes was uh, beef quality, it's everyone's business. And so, you know, that is an educational program to teach people about, A, well, low stress animal handling is part of beef quality assurance, but also appropriate practices in the animal health program. Uh, These and many other things are part of our beef quality assurance education program. And it's it's a really good effort that the industry has stepped forward to try to make progress and has tremendous progress. Thank you so much, Dr. Lalman, for sharing your time with us and letting us benefit from your years of study and knowledge. And if you, dear listener, are looking to level up your regenerative livestock feeding game, visit Hustler Equipment at hustlerequipment.com. And to see all the sustainable and regenerative farming articles in the Feed Grass for Good blog, you can go to hustlerequipment.com slash FGFG. Finally, if you liked this episode, please smash those five stars and give us a glowing review. It will help other people interested in sustainable and regenerative farming find us. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.